0: Good morning. For those uh, of you whom I have not yet met, and I'm sure there's a few here, my name is Eldon. I am a pastor on staff here at Central who uh, has uh, the awesome and joyful responsibility of overseeing our amazing campus in Agassiz. And I also have the privilege this morning of sharing uh, God's word with you Uh, As we continue in a very short series, four parts uh, called The Greatest Story, what we're doing is looking at the Bible kind of in four parts, four chapters, from creation, fall, redemption today, and restoration next week, this meta-narrative, the the grand big story of the Bible. So today we're in the third part of that, and we're going to spend our time in a few verses from Ephesians chapter one. So if you have a Bible, open it up there, but the verses will also be uh, on the screen. I just wanna say uh, that I I love being on staff at Central. It's been a little while since I've I've preached here and it's good to be here with you. But we have a fantastic church, a great church, um, at every campus. We have great leaders in this place and I get to work with uh, an awesome uh, team of staff that have been hired here. And so this fall we had uh, a staff retreat day uh, where we did some training, some planning, some talking together, as we do each year to kind of uh, kick off uh, a new season of ministry. And we did that right on site here. And so we came to lunch break, and uh, which is something I always enjoy. I have to throw on a food bit. But there was also some fun activities planned. So there was games on the tables. There was uh, some uh, other games set up. And a spontaneous game of ping pong broke out. Uh, for those of you who take that more seriously than I do, I guess it's table tennis to you, but for me it's ping pong. And uh, I hadn't played in a very long time, and I was just observing and hoping desperately nobody would call me into the game, which they did. Someone left, so I joined a game at doubles, and I was uh, off to a very bad start. I, I was, uh, not only was I rusty, but I was quite intimidated by the likes of Jason Wall and Jonathan Newfeld and Chris Battle, these guys that are so serious, you know and then our, our uh, you know, ever-famous John Cornelson. And so, like, we're, we're battling it out, and uh, I was not playing well. We went down pretty quick in the game, and, uh, and I said out oh, loud, I need to redeem myself here because this is not good. And then it happened. We finally got this, the, the ball back to serve, and I've always been not bad at a serve, uh, never in, not so much in ping pong, but I love volleyball, but it's not that different. So anyway, I started serving. And, uh, and, and we started coming up. And the game went on, and I'm gaining more confidence. And all of a sudden, we're up two points. And I went, yes, it's happening. And then Pastor Matt walks into the room and calls us back to work. <clears throat> and I didn't get to realize full redemption. But on a, on a more serious note, uh, Central, this church, is a huge redeeming factor in my life. Um, After what I would consider a personal uh, failure, really, in ministry, uh, this place has played a significant role in restoring uh, my faith, my faith in God, my faith in his bride, the church, and also my confidence uh, in ministry. And I'm so so thrilled to tell you that on Friday, I began my seventh year of ministry in this church, and it's a personal milestone. Uh, glory to God. He's done great things for me and for Marcy and for our family and for this place, uh, for Agassiz. So that kind of uh, tells us a little bit of the meaning, the first part of what redemption is all about. We typically understand redemption in our culture as turning, taking a bad situation and turning it around, right? It has a, a saving element to it, the correction of something bad to something good. And our culture really connects with that because... You know, the plot of every good movie, of every good book or, or play, has an element of redemption where there's a, a good situation that's gone bad, but it's turned around for the good again. And you see a hero at the end of the day who who, who saves that day or who saves an organization or who, who saves an entire civilization, right? And and around Remembrance Day, we get to we get to experience this in quite a tangible and a real way as we think about those who sacrificed so that good could triumph over evil, literally. And, and then we watch, you know, movies are released always around this time of the year where there's exactly this, this theme of redemption, you know, saving Private Ryan or Hacksaw Ridge or those kind of things. There's deliverance, there's rescue, there's salvation. But the real question from Remembrance Day through this week is, can Don Cherry redeem himself? Okay, <laughs> meaning number two, Uh, of redemption is uh, something that our culture also really understands and that's in terms of a transaction where one thing is given in exchange for another. So gone are the days, you know, of those paper coupons. I think there's still a few kicking around but now we have these, right? And on these phones we have, uh, we have apps that collect points. So if you shop, let's say at Superstore, or Shoppers Drug Mart, or Esso, and you have a, you know, PC MasterCard, you collect PC points. Or you go to Starbucks and you get stars that you can redeem for product. And thank goodness there are apps now because our wallets were getting awfully thick, right, with all those cards we had to carry. But now we just have a bunch of passwords to remember. So redemption, uh, redemption is hard. But. Uh, As I was preparing for this sermon, I got an email, actually, because we collect PC points, right? And uh, and it talked about Shoppers Drug Mart having a redemption event. And they have bonus redemption events where they give you extra points to get extra things. It's their way of getting you in the store. We trade points so that we can, that are earned, as we purchase things, so that we can get free products. Something is gained through something that is given in exchange. So our culture understands these concepts And and it tracks with the biblical meaning, but the emphasis is way off. And as we talk this morning, uh, as we unpack a few verses of scripture from Ephesians 1, you're going to see where the emphasis is different. So Ephesians 1 verses 7 through 10 say this. In him we have redemption. Through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. So I want to focus on that one word, redemption, because all of the other words in these verses revolve around that. So that word means this. It means to release or to set free. There's an element of liberation, deliverance. With the implied analogy in the big picture of scripture to the process of freeing a slave. In particular, buying back a slave or a captive and making him or her free by payment of ransom. So do you see the parallels between culture and Bible. First of all, someone or something is in trouble. There's trouble, there's bondage, there's captivity, and in need of rescue and deliverance to be saved from a bad situation, to be redeemed. And secondly, there's an exchange that happens. Something is given so that something can be gained. But the questions for, our, uh, for us this morning are, are this. Who's in trouble? who's the slave and who paid the ransom and just what and how did this deliverer or rescuer this liberator pay these are questions that we will try to answer as we go through the text and it'll become clear just how different the cultural understanding and the biblical understanding um, are so uh, with our remaining time this morning, I've got about uh, three minutes per point. I'm going to talk to you about six unique emphases that we see about redemption from this text. This is like a whole series packed into about 20 minutes, so here we go. First of all, redemption is in him. Seems obvious, but we need to ask the question, who's him? Paul wrote, in him we have redemption. If you back up to the beginning of Ephesians chapter 1, there are six verses where the name of Jesus Christ is mentioned six times. And then, in verse 6, in Him. And while it seems so obvious, we need to state it clearly. Because in our culture, there's a lot of confusion about redemption, about what redemption is. And we, as a church, as Christians, need to be crystal clear on our Christology. (laughs) about who Jesus is and we need to state it clearly redemption is in Christ he's the deliverer the rescuer the liberator and the savior this is because and I'm going to say it again the, the greater understanding of redemption in our world places a heavy emphasis on self and sadly it's in so many churches today too that what i do my effort my good living my attempts at, you know, being clean or being nice to people redeem me. I, redeem, I can redeem myself from this situation. The points that I earn will gain me something. But the biblical understanding and emphasis is so different. And listen, this is the important part. We, you, I, cannot redeem ourselves. We can't. We're going to find out from our text exactly why, but if you remember last week when Pastor Jonathan Newfeld spoke here, there's this thing called the fall. And so God's perfect creation, as we heard about a few weeks ago, is no longer perfect. Sin has permeated everything, and our very nature, and our actions, our thoughts, and everything in this world is permeated by Sin. So, so after the fall, you know, Genesis 3 and on, God in the, in the grand story, so if, if you think of scripture like a, a, a story, a movie, a drama, he gave us three things, and I like to call them uh, the covenants, the cast, and the characters. So the covenants is the script. The cast is a group of actors, and the characters are these individuals who are in the story. And so God gave covenants. He gave a covenant first to Adam, then to Noah, then Abraham, then Moses, then David. Those are the big ones. And these covenants that God made with his people, all of them, they were unable to keep. They were all broken. Not by God, but by us. And so their purpose was, was to point to the one who would not only fulfill all of them, the one who was able to keep perfectly all of the laws, all of the commands, all of the things that God required, Uh, was Christ, and it was also, uh, he also came to establish, not only to fulfill them, but to establish a brand new one, a new covenant. We're going to talk about specifically what that means, but as you listen to the word this morning, you're also looking at some tables at the front where we have these metal containers with juice and bread inside, and these are symbols which point us to a new covenant, that is now found in Christ. But within, we also have the biblical caste. So you have this group of prophets, priests, judges, and kings, and God put them in, in place to guide his people, but they were either all rejected or they fell abysmally short in turning the fall around and making us right with God. It didn't work. So they were all fulfilled in Christ, who is now the great high priest, who is always has been the priest, the judge, the king and profit. Then you've got these individual characters within the story, and so I'm going to mention a few really quick. Noah and the ark, right, a righteous person saves the human race. Um, Abraham and Isaac, a father offers up his son as a sacrifice, Jacob and Esau. Which one would have the better sacrifice, Joseph and his brothers, through rejection and suffering? Uh, A whole group of, a whole nation was saved. Moses and Pharaoh, a deliverer, frees a nation who is in bondage and slavery. Joshua and the battle of Jericho, a whole, uh, a nation was delivered miraculously from the hand of the enemy. Gideon, an unlikely candidate, becomes a mighty warrior. Uh, Ruth and Boaz, a kinsman redeemer, saves a whole people. David and Goliath, God's chosen and anointed but not yet king, slays a giant enemy and liberates a nation held in in captivity and fear. Daniel in the lion's den and his friends in the fiery furnace through through humility and obedience and submission and prayer an oppressive situation of captivity is thwarted. So what's the point of all, all of these stories? The point is to show us that if we just be more brave and more courageous and stand our ground, we can stand up to an oppressive pharaoh in our life just like, uh, you know, like that mean boss who cuts off your ping pong game short so we can get back to work. Sorry, Matt. That's, uh, you're really not a pharaoh, a slave driver. You're, you're a good boss. Um, the point of the story is that if we are more brave and more courageous, we can go out in the school playground and with a slingshot, we can slay our enemies. No. It's not the point. But it's what's being taught so much. We can do it. Listen. Our strength, which is pretty feeble, our will, our charisma, our good looks, our gifting, they don't cut it with the enemies that we face. Because the enemies that we face are Satan, sin, and death. And they can only be defeated, and they have been defeated, through divine intervention. These stories are here to show us how much we need Christ... All of them point to Jesus. One of my favorite stories in scripture is from Luke 24, where Jesus, after he died, and his disciples thought he was still dead, he rose to, he rose to life, right? And he's walking, they were, they were disillusioned with this person they thought would be the hero, and, and Jesus joins them on this road to Emmaus, and he's listening to them, and then he begins to tell them, it says in scripture, beginning with Moses and all of the prophets, Jesus interpreted to them, he explained to them in all of the scriptures, the, the meta narrative of the Bible, everything concerning himself. He said, Listen, it all points to me. Redemption begins and ends with Christ. There's no coupon, there's no app, there's no get out of f- jail free card. Redemption, f- deliverance, freedom, liberation, ransom. Salvation is in Christ and Christ alone. We have to be clear on that. That's why the Apostle Paul wrote to this broken church in Corinth that was so racked with sin, as we all are. He said, "For I resolve to know nothing among you. I'm going to narrow it down, guys, to, to, to two things: To Jesus Christ, number one, and 1A, him crucified. That's it. Anything else? And you've heard us talk about it before here. Anything else leads to what's called moralistic therapeutic deism, which says my own effort, my attempts to lean at, live a clean life, a good life, to be good to my neighbor, is all I need to be right with God, and Jesus is there just to help me out along the way if I need Him. No. No. We're helpless. In fact, Paul goes on to write in chapter 2, we're beyond helpless. We're dead. And the only hope we have is in Christ. C.S. Lewis said, the Son of God, Jesus Christ, became a man to enable men to become sons of God. Number two, we have, uh, redemption is for us. In him, we have redemption. Redemption. There's two. There's two, there's two dangers in in our thinking when it comes to redemption uh, and liberation and deliverance and bondage and all that kind of stuff. Number one is this: wh- Why do I need to be redeemed? I mean, I do live a good life. You know, I've I've never been arrested. You know, I got a good reputation in my neighborhood. I'm I'm pretty kind to everybody that I live with. L- listen to God's word for a moment. Romans three. God says. None is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks God. All have turned aside. Together, they have become worthless. No one does good. Not even one. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's who we are, and that's why redemption is in Him. But the 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 other danger is to say, and I heard it just last week. Someone um, at our at our campus in Agassiz came to me and said, "Could you?" Pray for my brother-in-law. He's in the hospital and he's dying. And I went to visit him and he he said to me, how can I ever be forgiven? I've done so many bad things. I'm not worthy. How can I ever be redeemed? I'm too far gone. And I know that in in a crowd this size this morning... There are many, in fact, maybe the majority, who are racked with some sort of guilt in their lives over something they've done. And to you, I want to say this. It's from God's word as well. Same book, Romans 5. But God shows his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since, therefore, we have now been justified by his blood how much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God? For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life? That's who we are. And that's why redemption is in him, because he loves us. For God so loved the world, That he sent his one and only son, Jesus Christ, that whosoever, whosoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. I like the way Timothy Keller said, put it. He said the Christian gospel is that I am so flawed that Jesus had to die for me. Yet I am so loved and valued that Jesus was glad to die for me. This leads to deep humility and deep confidence at the same time. It undermines both swaggering and sniveling. I cannot feel superior to anyone, and yet I have nothing to prove to anyone. I do not think more of myself or less of myself. Instead, I think of myself less. And we need to think on him who, for our sake, made him to be sin who knew no sin, that in him we, it's for us, we might become the righteousness of God. Amen Number three, we got to keep moving in him we have redemption how through his blood? Scripture says that the last enemy to be destroyed is death and you say, well why did Jesus Christ need to die? Why shed blood? and I want to let you know that it took death the death of a perfect person who would never sinned to defeat the last enemy, and that is death. Ephesians 2 reminds us, and I'll remind you again, that we were dead in our trespasses and sins, and we forget that. What do dead people do? Nothing. Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing because you're dead. Moralistic, therapeutic deism doesn't work. So it took death, it took Jesus' death to bring life. But why specifically blood? I mean, people die all the time without shedding blood. And it says, through his blood. Listen, it was the blood that is the ransom. It is the blood that covers. It is the blood that atones. Redemption is not a points program that we earn in exchange for a product. It is his blood that he shed in exchange for our salvation. It was his life. And the life of the person is in the blood. It was his life that bought our life. And we can't earn it, and we don't deserve it, but he did it. So that's why, again, to the church in Corinth, Paul said, I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ, and, specifically, him crucified. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. Propitiation is a big word, but it simply means this. It means to appease someone's wrath. So if your neighbor asks you, while they're gone on holidays to Hawaii for three weeks to water their house plants, and you completely forget... They're going to be upset with you. And so you go to them and say, can I offer propitiation by cutting your lawn all the next summer? (laughs) It's what Jesus did. But he's not the one who killed the plants. He's not the one who sinned. And yet he still paid for it. Through Christ's sacrifice, he took our place and he suffered the penalty of death for our sin through the shedding of his blood so that the wrath of a holy God could be appeased and our sin atoned for. The wrongs have been made right and the amends have been completed. If any of you have taken freedom session, and if you haven't, I hope that you would, the hardest step is making amends, right? Oh, that's hard. But when it's done, there is so much freedom. Freedom. There's so much freedom. And listen, Jesus is the one who made amends on your behalf. He's not the one who sinned, but he did the hard work for you, for me, that we might be free. Hebrews 9, but when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Therefore, he is the mediator of a new covenant so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance, eternal life, hope, since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions, the sins committed under the first covenant. Friends, we need to agree with the hymn writer who said, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. There's no other way. Number four, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. Paul wrote to the church in Colossae chapter 1, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Listen, the greatest need that people have today, but, but they hide it, most people hide it so well, is the need to be forgiven. I don't know about you, but in my personal relationships, especially with those closest to me, when I have wronged somebody, my wife, my kids, those that I work with, and I've messed up, and they offer me forgiveness, that brings life. <laughs> you, you breathe a huge sigh of relief when forgiveness is offered. And that's what redemption is all about. It's the forgiveness of our sins. I'm so glad for what was shared this morning. By uh, John and Shalom. Because it reminds me of a story in Mark chapter 2. Where Jesus was teaching in a house. And, and a paralyzed man was brought in. And the people wanted Jesus to heal the man. So he looked at him couldn't walk he said son your sins are forgiven and they went what and they were muttering and thinking to themselves like who who is this guy who can forgive sins but God alone and Jesus knew their thoughts and so he said to them listen what's easier to say your sins are forgiven or get up and walk to a paralyzed man he said, so you know, just so you know, that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He turned to the paralyzed man. He said, get up, take your mat, and go home. And That's exactly what happened. Praise God. Similar to our story in Thailand this morning. Isn't that fantastic? But what's the greater miracle? The forgiveness of sins. And Jesus alone has the authority and the power to do that. Number five. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our sins according to the riches of his grace. And oh man, I wish we had more time because Paul said that the grace of God is so lavish. It is so lavish. Have you, have you ever received a gift from someone that is so lavish where you think, I, I don't deserve this. I am just so unworthy to even accept what they're offering to me right now. Have you ever had that experience? That doesn't even come close. That doesn't even come close to the gift that God has offered us through his son, Jesus. The gift of salvation, of redemption, through Christ and his blood for our forgiveness was so lavish that he who committed no sin would suffer and die the most horrible death ever on a cross and shed his blood, and, and before that to sweat drops of blood in the garden in agony over what he was about to endure, but doing it anyway for people that hated him. That's lavish. It was so lavish that scripture says that he planned it long before we ever sinned or rejected him or became his enemies. Isaiah talks about that, that it was the will of God to crush him. It was so lavish that both Jesus and Paul affirmed that it doesn't matter how much we sin. Forgiveness from God is always given. And we need to do that for each other. But it was also so lavish that Paul said, Hey, because of that, I have to stop sinning because I'll do anything now for him who gave his life for me. It was so lavish that Jesus went in to rescue dead people. Listen, nobody rescues dead people. That's called a recovery mission, not a rescue mission. And Jesus went in on enemy territory facing the most formidable foes that we have, Satan, sin, and death itself, to deliver us when we were dead, and to make us alive. That's how much he loved us. That's how lavish his grace on, was that the Lord Jesus, though he was rich, yet for your sakes, he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. And number six, God's redemption, Because of his redemption, it was given to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. See, right now we live in this space. With the coming of Christ and his resurrection and his ascension back to heaven, he inaugurated what's called a kingdom, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. But there's these competing kingdoms until this kingdom is fully realized when he returns, right? And so you have the kingdom of darkness and death the world, Satan's domain, and you have the kingdom of light, the kingdom of life, God's kingdom, and the two are competing for one another, and there's a, there's a war in our souls, there's a war in our culture. But a time is coming because of this single act of Christ where everything will be made right and that curse of sin will be completely reversed and there will be light 24-7 because in him there's no darkness, no death and he will come, he has come to reconcile things in heaven and things on earth, everything. And that's why Jesus taught us to pray every day, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So how do we respond? to this good news. Three ways. I'm going to be straight up. Number one, we need to repent. Um, To repent means to turn. Don't let that word freak you out. Jesus said there's, there's two kingdoms. Paul, Paul made it clear that there's two kingdoms. There's darkness and there's light. There's death and there's life. So if we're going this way, simply we need to turn around and go that way to experience life and everything that God has for us. That's what it means to repent, to turn, to say, Jesus, I want to follow you instead of that, the world. When the apostle Paul met Jesus and Jesus changed his life, the very first thing Jesus said to him was, Paul, I've got a call in your life, and your call is to go and share the gospel, the good news, with your people and to all of the Gentiles. It was a big calling, but he said, Paul, you're the guy, and this is what I want you to do. Acts 26, to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me, in Jesus. So that's what I'm asking you to do this morning. If you have never encountered Jesus, if you've never met him, would you turn this morning from darkness to light? Would you turn from the power of Satan to God? Would you turn from death and embrace life in Christ? Because God is so rich in mercy. Because of the great love that with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your doing. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works so that no one can boast. Would you receive that gift this morning if you haven't already? Lee Strobel said, Jesus Christ did not come into the world to make bad people good. He came into this world to make dead people live would you live this morning? And it doesn't matter what you think. I'm too good, why do I need that? Or I'm too bad, I've done too many things wrong that how could I ever be forgiven? Listen, the good news is for you and it doesn't matter what you've done. Around here, I was counting up the years of pastoral experience that we all have and Pastor Ron by far has more than any of us combined. (laughs) But about 120 years, right, I think, of pastoral ministry. That's a lot of stories that we've listened to. Not in you alone. We've listened to a lot of things, and I have personally, that would just make your hair curl. People live in guilt, in shame, in fear. And I want to tell you this morning that it doesn't matter what you've done. God loves you. So do I. And so does this church. Turn to Christ and live call on him today be forgiven today is your day of redemption secondly return some of you have wandered away from the truth Uh, your hearts are cold you live in captivity to satan and god says this to his people who messed up he said you know I, i have blotted out your transgressions like a cloud and your sins like mist return to me return to me for i have redeemed you so maybe today you need to return And if you have returned and you know Jesus and you're walking with him, the third response is just to rejoice. (laughs) And when I think that God, his son not sparing, sent him to die, I scarce can take it in. And on the cross, my burden gladly bearing, he bled and died to take away my sin. Then sings my soul, My Savior God to thee, how great thou art. How great thou art. Then sings my soul, my Savior God to thee. How great thou art. How great thou art. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you are so great. God, you loved us so much that you sent your son and we are just so thankful. And I pray now that as we partake of some elements that symbolize in a very small way the great thing that you've done for us, your broken body, your shed blood, that it would be a time where we can turn to you, where we can return to you, and where we can just rejoice. So Lord, help us to respond in one of those three, maybe all of those three ways as we partake of the table that you have set for us. For we pray it in Jesus' name, amen. Amen.